Good morning. It's good to be alive today, isn't it? Good to be alive. Yeah. I enjoy the words of that last song, There's Another in the Fire Standing Next to Me. Aren't you grateful for that, too, that everywhere we go, those that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, God goes with us. And what a gift that is in the midst of the turmoil that you might have found our world in today. I'm excited as we continue to plow through the book of Galatians. So many good truths. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And Paul has been doing his best to remind us of that, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And today he takes a turn in his dialogue with the church here, and he's reminding them of what it is to walk in the Spirit and what a a Christ follower looks like. And he gives us this list, but then he just opposed that against what it means to walk in the flesh, too. But in order for us to see the light of Christ in others, love must permeate our lives. More than ever, we need to be reminded of that, and the world needs to be reminded that there's hope in Jesus Christ. Instead of all the doom and gloom we find our world in, we can stand up in the midst of it and say, but there's another in the fire standing next to me, and we can walk through this together. When you see someone stand in a way that is different than the world's response you never forget it. There is a mark that is in them, which is the seal of the Holy Spirit, that surfaces in their life in a powerful way, and you never forget it. Recently, I came across this video of something just like that. Take a look at how within these men. We end this week with a lesson in forgiveness from Steve Hartman on the road. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You're saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs and stealing. Of course, Jamel was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side-by-side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. 
Today, they're not only cordial. So Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. Uh, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. I'll grab this, we'll set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Steve Hartman, on the road, in Benton Harbor, Michigan. We praise God for redemption. Praise God for forgiveness. That sticks out. Because someone horribly wronged someone else. Horribly. But the person who was wronged let the love of Jesus stand up in them and to forgive them. And now there's a relationship there that only Jesus can do. That happens when you walk in the Spirit. Grab your Bibles and we're going to play this out and see what Paul has to say about this. And turn to the book of Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 13 to 18. Galatians 5, 13 to 18. And I'm going to ask you to stand here in the auditorium if you're home watching to stand too. As we read God's Word, let's read it out loud together. Galatians 5, verses 13 to 18. Would you read it with me together? Ready, read. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You may have a seat. We find in this passage how the whole law is summed up. Basically, to love one another love like you love yourself. And I would begin by saying this, that love is the mark of a spirit-filled Christ follower. Love is the mark of a spirit-filled Christ follower. Love is the seal marked by the Spirit, and it should be manifested in our actions, in our responses to things that have been done to us. Paul uses the word agape love here. Many of you are familiar with that, that love word of the Greek word. It, it's an unconditional love. It, doesn't, it means I love you even though you won't give me anything back. And my love isn't conditional on, on you loving me. And he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Think about how much time you took today to love yourself. Many of you got up, you brushed your teeth, you combed your hair, you picked out an outfit uh, you fed yourself because you were hungry. Many of you spent time in God's word so that you, you could grow spiritually. You might have spent time in prayer so that you can be in tune with God in a, an emotional, relational way. You spent time thinking about your day and charting out. 
You drove here safely so that you could get your family here to worship. You took time to worship because you understand that you have a vertical and a horizontal relationship with God. You thought a lot about yourself today. You spent a lot of time on yourself to get yourself to this point today. You dressed yourselves, and we're glad you did. You took time to pick out an outfit. All that effort that we take every single day, Paul is saying, that's how we should love others. That's a big, big responsibility. But when we do, we walk in the Spirit by doing so. Yet, in our world today, we're seeing often the opposite of that. We're seeing how there's this desire or this, we would say, a a spirit of bitterness or indignation or judgment and unholy anger and a spirit of divisiveness. What is it about your heart right now that would attract a lost person to Jesus? Answer that question for a second. In the midst of where we're at in our world, what is it about your heart and my heart that would attract someone to say, You're different. Love is marking your life. And the way that happens is this. What consumes your mind will guide your life. So the thoughts that consume your mind, you'll see Paul say in the book of Philippians to think on things that are noble, trustworthy, godly, honorable. There's this list of of godly things to think on. So what consumes your mind or consumes your mind this week literally guides your life. Let me ask another maybe really hard question. Is Jesus your number one love? And you might say, yeah, Pastor Jim, absolutely he's my number one love. Well, if he's your number one love, then he will consume your mind. If you and I were able to, up on the screens right now, all around us and at home or in the other auditoriums that are watching, if we were able to do a a history check on the search engine of your mind like we can with Google, and we just, we did a real quick, let's do a history check of this past week in your life of every thought that consumed your mind. What would the search engine of your mind reveal? Where would the most hits be this past week? And by the way, those hits that consumed your mind this week, they guided your life. And Paul is saying if we are going to walk in the Spirit or walk by the Spirit or being led by the Spirit, we must be consumed with Jesus. We must hit him in the search engine of Jesus. In other words, life by the Spirit is consumed with Jesus. Paul is looking at this church and is addressing the obvious. This whole law discussion has caused him to leave the God they love because they're more focused on doing good things things thinking that somehow good things will save them when the things don't save them they're a byproduct of what Jesus has already done in them and so they're more consumed with look what I'm done hope I keep up I want to keep the feasts and the festivals uh, or or, uh, the celebrations and 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 I'll I'll choose to do these things and I won't eat this or I won't eat that or I'll make sure that I'm doing this on this day. And they've been consumed with doing as opposed to a relationship with Jesus. So how do we consume our minds with Jesus? Can I offer a couple suggestions that could really change your week this week? Can I give a few and 
began by saying this, what if I suggest to you and to me, what if we all, all of us, those who are watching online, those who are in this room and the other auditoriums, what if we chose to fast from the news this week? And I'll say, what if you just said, I will take seven days, seven days, and, and by the t- seven, seven, I'll take seven days, and by the time I come back to worship at Grace Community Church next week, I will have fasted from the news. I will consciously make an effort this week not to watch the news, to listen to the news, to read the news. What if we chose this week, just this week, to fast from talk radio? What if we said, you know what, those go-to places that I normally go to, I will not listen to this podcast, I will not listen to these people, I will not listen to people tell me what they stand for and stand against, I will fast from the news, and I will fast from talk radio. What if this week, this is just a suggestion, but I think it's a pretty good one, what if all of us chose not to speak the word COVID for a week? Just, just one week. And why? Because the thoughts that consume your mind will guide your life. Be really honest. What's been consuming your mind? Out of the overflow of our hearts, <laughs> our social media post. <laughs> Just go back to your social media. What is it consumed with? Would someone look at your social media if you have a propensity to go there and say, wow, I know what consumes their mind. Would they be able to look at the post of your life and say, that person loves Jesus Christ. And I can tell by the way they're talking. Or a coworker, what consume, what's the first thing that you're saying to them? There's 59 more cases of COVID yesterday. And I want to say there's 21 people that came to Jesus Christ this week. (laughs) There are believers all over our world that are worshiping God in the midst of it. And God is still on the throne and he rules and he's in control. And the heart of the king is in the hand of God and he directs it wherever he goes. That's where I'm going to place my mind. Because here, no matter how much thought you put into all those things, sure, we should be responsible and wise in decision-making. But no matter how much thought you place on those things, remember this, Jesus is still fully in control. And regardless of how much effort you thought about it, it won't change the fact that he's in control and he is fully, sovereignly in control of our world and we can trust him. Amen? So I just encourage you, try it. Like, and you might have to remind yourselves if you're married, like, we made an effort. Let's just come on, let's don't say it. And instead of, talk about Jesus all week. And when you're thinking about those things, talk about Jesus and what he's done for you. And pray with someone near you and, and begin to ask God as you walk through your day. God, give me a spiritual conversation with someone else. Let me be a light to this lost world because we have the hope of Christ in us and more than ever, the world needs Jesus. Love marks the life of a spirit-filled Christ follower. You see, the spirit produces life, and hear me out, Paul's saying, 
the Greek word sarx, which is flesh, produces nothing. Hear me? Nothing. He is reminding them that freedom doesn't give you permission to indulge in the flesh. It's not a license to do whatever you want. It's, it's an opportunity to trust in Jesus and not be bound by the law, but to follow the Spirit. Real love for God and others daily only grows in the security of the love of God for you. It is impossible to experience the gospel without overflowing with generosity and love for others. It really is. Like if I pull away and you pull away and we just begin the process that the only thing that we offered Jesus for our salvation was our sin. That's all we offered. We didn't offer anything good for this free gift called salvation. The only thing we gave him was our sin. And when I wrap my mind around that, you mean I have eternal life because of Christ did all the work. And by grace through faith, I believe in the work of Jesus and I am saved. And I didn't do one good thing to deserve it. Generosity should just flow out of us. That's how good our God is. More than ever in our world, we need the love of God being demonstrated for each other. How will the world know we are Christians if we don't have agape love for each other? And we should love without expecting anything in return. That's why he uses the word agape here. And then that's why he says it, in verse 15, 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I saw this love demonstrated even this past week. There's a gentleman that I've come to know and appreciate and love and, and care for. And he was one of our first couple chapters of Fight Club uh, over eight years ago. And, and he tends another church locally and he's a follower of Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, we've been able to connect with other believers in other churches. And I love that unity of the churches. And he had contacted me four or five weeks ago and he was in a tough patch in his marriage and he asked for prayer. He said, I've, I've met with my pastor, encouraged, and I said, I just, I just want to get some additional prayer. And he said, I long for my relationship to be healthy with my wife. It's in a rough place. He said, I'm finally at a place where I'm longing to, to be led by the Spirit. My wife isn't there, and her heart is cold. He said, Jim, would you pray? I said, absolutely. And so I prayed each day for him from that time on. He contacted me Saturday night before last week, before Dad Fest, and he said, Pastor Jim, hey, uh, I'll ask you to pray. I've invited my wife to come to the service here outside. Would you pray that God softens her heart? And he said, would you pray that God softens my heart too? He said, I'm going to go on the motorcycle ride with you uh, next Sunday. And so I show up, and Hannah happened to be with me, daddy, daughter, Rye, which I love, and she was Instagramming story of videos as we were gone. It was kind of fun being with her, and we had a, a, just a, a great daddy-daughter time together. And, but as you ride together, you just kind of peel out. There were probably 40 to 45 bikes, and we peeled out an hour, took on an hour ride before the service, and you kind of line up, and so I, I didn't pay much attention to who was coming out, and so we pulled up, and you go to stop signs, and you're kind of axle, axle, and I looked to my left, here's this guy that had just texted me the night before. I'm beside him. I couldn't tell because of his helmet on. And I asked him how he was doing. He said, hey, he said, my wife's coming. And, and he said, uh, would you continue to pray? I said, absolutely. So I was excited about that. And so after the service, 
I received some emails and some texts and some Facebook messages from some people, just encouraging news of how God had moved in their hearts. And I received one from him. And he said, hey, Pastor Jim, by the way. And he had a picture attached. And it was this picture of this 12, 13-year-old girl. And, and, and so he said this. He said, by the way, my wife came and he said, nothing changed, but I'm glad she was there. He said, but God worked in my heart. And he said, by the way, he said, we brought our granddaughter to the service, and she gave her life to Christ. <laughs> I say, yeah, praise God. I say that to say this. In the midst of hardship, in the midst of turmoil, here was a man that was remaining faithful and knew that he needed to stay in community and knew that God was real. He came, even though everything wasn't all right here, And he brought his granddaughter, and God worked in her life too. Had he not remained faithful and close to God, his granddaughter would have never received Christ last Sunday. That's the mark of love that's played out in our lives. And Paul says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. We need to take the gospel to our hearts every day. And that's what this man was doing. And to the unevangelized areas of our lives, if we ever want to see the world one to Jesus by our own action, he could have pulled away and been in resentment. God, why aren't you doing anything? God, I have been faithful. God, where are you at? But in the midst of the hardship, he remained faithful. And God is always faithful. But that's what we do when we walk in the Spirit. I really believe we have let this pandemic divide us. And the devil is winning instead of rallying us together under the banner of Jesus. In fact, I love, by the way, what you're doing, Grace. And I'm watching. Like, I love how you're rallying together. But may we not be so consumed with the trial that we lose sight of the mission of telling Jesus about others about Jesus. Can I ask you another personal question? Because what consumes our mind guides our life. Who is the last person you had a spiritual conversation with? How long has it been? It's real easy for us to have a conversation about the word I said don't say anymore, isn't it? But what is the last time, when was the last time you had a spiritual conversation with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your husband or your wife or your neighbor or your coworker or your boss or, or your teammate? And so what consumes your mind guides your life. May we be more consumed with our, not, may we not be more consumed with our physical protection than we are with those who are eternally unprotected from hell. Paul is looking at this group of believers that he loves and is reminding them, don't get your thoughts turned upside down. What would our communities look like if we truly loved them like we do ourselves. Think about that for a second. It's challenging sometimes in the world we're in because the enemy, how does he operate? The enemy operates this way. The Bible says he's a lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you study a lion's attack, he, he attacks and what he does, he waits till his prey has been separated from the pack. And a lion often attacks its prey 
when the wounded or hurt animal is by itself. And it attacks often at night. It attacks in the dark. And the lion will attack when he's alone. And so even more than ever, we're seeing in our world that we understand God has designed us for community. Hebrews 10 says, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. And part of that is because we need to do the one another's together. And more than ever in my lifetime of 58 years, it's becoming more and more prevalent that people are pulling away from each other. And if we're not careful, and if we aren't sure in, in the power and walk in the power of the Spirit, we'll allow ourselves to end up on an island desperate, lonely, and the enemy will attack. And it's simple. Like, we can't even handshake anybody anymore. Like, how many of you just want... We can't embrace anymore. What do we naturally do because of the virus? We step away. And there's this fear in our minds that I can't, we can't even smile at people in places because we have masks going to protect. We don't even, like, you ever try to smile with your eyes? And more than that, if you're not watching, we're being separated from. So what are we left with? We're left with our voice. And that we haven't lost, friends. And so what consumes your minds, the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. So if we spend time with Jesus, then the words that they can't stop us, we can tell the world about Jesus. With our words is the power of life and death. What are you speaking? More than ever, our world needs to hear that we're going to be okay because Jesus is in control. We need to be the ones speaking that. We don't need to be speaking what we've been Googling all week. We need to be speaking out of the overflow of time consumption with Jesus. You see, without God, our souls are like a gigantic vacuum. We look to satisfy our flesh with everything we think makes us happy. And the way to escape that longing is to fill it with Jesus. Sometimes we just be reminded of the gospel. Let me just give you some really good reminders of the gospel. Remember this, that your sinful nature was dealt a fatal blow on the cross by Jesus Christ. Your sinful desires are still there but they are mortally wounded. They no longer rule and reign over us. So Paul, in other writings, and even here, he reminds us, consider them dead. What do I mean? Don't call the medic. Don't try to resuscitate bitterness and anger and resentment and unforgiveness. Though the old man and the nature itself was mortally wounded. We keep calling in the doctor and bringing it back to life. Let him die. That's why Christ went to the cross. Don't resuscitate them. Don't gratify them. Don't feed them. And what should we do? Feed yourself the gospel. The death the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Feed yourself that all day long. I'm a redeemed saint, justified. 
I have been declared righteous by the work of Jesus on the cross. I am an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror. My God can do the impossible. That's who I am through him. Feed yourself the gospel. And as we do, our lives are marked with this list that the fruit of the Spirit demonstrates. Walk in the Spirit could be translated this way. Keep on walking. Why? Because it's the present tense form. It's the verb, walk, is in the present tense. That means keep doing it. It's not an aorist form, an action that happened in the past with future results. It's a present active indicative verb, which means keep walking. And how do we walk in the Spirit? It's every tiny step that we take every day towards the light of the gospel who is Jesus. It's like saying, okay, I'm going to take a step. I, the Spirit says do this and the flesh is screaming. By the way, becoming a man or woman of God isn't a one-time decision. Like, I'm a man of God. I made that decision. I crossed that bridge last week at DadFest. Look at me. No, it's the thousands of decisions that we make every day. And so walking in the Spirit is just step. Yeah, I, my flesh wants to do this. Okay, I'll take that step. Woo! I'm going to follow God. I'm empowered by the Spirit. I won't listen to the flesh. It's daily. It's present, active, indicative. It's keep on walking. And Paul is saying it is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. I love what Tim Keller said about walking in the Spirit. He said, walking with God is a moment-by-moment awareness of God's awareness of you. Paul's in, I'll read that again because that is it's really good. I would never think that up on my own. This is too good. This is just good. Walking with God is a moment-by-moment awareness of God's awareness of you. And John, John said in John chapter 16 and verse 14, he said, the Spirit glorifies Jesus. He makes Jesus large in your heart. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. The Spirit says, hey, let's glorify Jesus. When you walk in the Spirit, your actions exalt Jesus. And when we listen to the Spirit and we're led by the Spirit and we walk in the Spirit and we're filled with the Spirit, there's instantaneous moments in our journey. In those moments when we listen to the Spirit, Jesus is exalted and glorified and he gets large in our hearts. Like, that's awesome! Because he deserves the glory. Let me give you two important words in this whole discussion of the gospel. The first word is justification. Now here's how I would define justification. The act by which God declares us righteous by God through the work of Jesus. By the way, we are saved by works, but not our works. It's Jesus' works. Sanctification is this, to make holy. It means we become righteous and holy in the way we act. Justification has to do with your official standing before God, and sanctification has to do with how godly your heart has become in following. Think about this way. Sanctification, which is our journey, and we would be progressive sanctification, trying to become more like Christ, taking those steps. Sanctification feeds off justification. 
And growth and sanctification comes from dwelling constantly on justification. And how do we do that? We spend time with Jesus. We soak in his word. We meditate on his scripture. We spend time with other believers who are sharpening us and keeping us accountable. We worship our God. That's how we feed off of justification. And we begin to walk this path in the way he wants us to, not on our own power. That was the problem with the church at Galatia. They were trying to do it alone. No, it happens because of the justification process of Jesus working through us. Oh, it's just a beautiful picture together. So I would wrap it up by saying it this way. Dwelling on your justification is the most essential component for your sanctification. It's not outside in, it's inside out. I wish I was able to, and I wish you were able to, and I wish those who are watching online were able to, to be able to see us the way God sees us. (laughs) When God looks at us, we are perfect in his sight. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ rests on us. We are perfect. Listen, Only perfect people can get into heaven. By the way, you know how that happens? Because of the perfect God who died in our place. He was the substitutionary atonement for us. Oh, it's so good for us. And so Paul says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The law guides you, but it doesn't save you. The law, like I said a few weeks ago, is the train tracks on which the engine of the gospel runs. The law can't get you up the hill. The gospel, Jesus working in you, takes you and allows you to walk on the path because of his work in you. You can't law yourself down the tracks. Look what he says next. Okay, here it is. Here, here's, how, here's what happens if we don't walk in the Spirit. Look at this list in verse 19. He says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And then he says this, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not, what? Inherit the kingdom of God. And by the way, we can't lose our salvation, but we can lose the joy of our salvation. This is a person who habitually practiced this because there isn't Christ in them. That list though, think about this list for a second. Three are sexual in nature. Sexual immorality is sexual intercourse between unmarried people. It's the Greek word pornea. It's where we get pornography. Impurity that he lists here is unnatural sexual relations with other people. Debauchery is uncontrolled sexuality. And then he gives two, I would say, corrupted religion words. Idolatry is when we love other things more than we do God. And then he uses the word witchcraft. Witchcraft is where you try to manipulate God through a good luck charm. And by the way, it's pretty subtle. And you have to really be careful here. 
me, especially when it comes to sports. How many of you wear the same color socks because the last time you wore those socks, uh, you won? And how many of you as parents, you sit in the same place that you sat before to root your child on because when you sat there before, you won? Listen, that is called witchcraft. It's real subtle, but it's witchcraft. You're depending on a seat. You're depending on a sock. You're depending on an outfit to perform for you. When you have Jesus in you, he says, watch out. That's called witchcraft. He gives eight words about relational sin. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions. And then he gives three, I would say, substance abuse words drunkenness, orgies, and the like. It's where you need a hit of something to keep you going. I need some alcohol. I need some wine at the evening before I go to bed because I've had a hard day. That's an act of the flesh. You're depending on wine to get you to sleep more than you are God. I love how one translated this List. Just listen to this list. This is what he said. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of a trying to get your own way all the time. Here's the list. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of the community. And he puts, I could go on. But then he says this. Look at verse 22. Here's what it looks like to walk in the Spirit, Grace Community Church. Look at this list. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Walking in the Spirit produces good fruit. By the way, fruit is a singular word. It's not fruits of the Spirit. The collective evidence of Christ in you will produce a multi-stemmed fruit. So there's love. He puts it at the top of the list. I believe he puts it there because it should be above all things. There's the word joy. Joy is a delight in God alone. Peace is where the soul feels rest in the midst of the chaos. Forbearance is where we get the English word patience. It's the ability to face trials without giving into despair or blowing up in anger. Kindness is taking care of others even when it costs you something. Goodness is where we would get the English word integrity. Good person you can trust. A consistency in their walk. They will always do the same thing over and over. 
Faithfulness, we would understand as loyalty. To do so says what is right. I'll stay with that even when it's unpopular to do so. Gentleness is a humility wrapped in godly confidence. Self-control means to rein in the ability to stay calm and hold it together in the power of the Spirit. And he says, against such things, there is no law. Why? Because people like this don't need laws when you're controlled by the Spirit. You operate from the Spirit, and it produces fruit. The more you embrace the love of Jesus, the fruit will appear naturally in your life. Let me try to give you an analogy that hopefully you'll understand. I love my wife, Anne. By the way, so good to see the Vries family, Johnny's family here today. Good to have you guys with us today. I love my wife, Anne, a whole bunch, and she loves me. And so we care about each other deeply. And so when I spend time with her and she spends time with me through 32 years, we have had intimate encounters because we love each other. There's intimacy there. And the byproduct of that intimacy, what was produced was Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah. They are the fruits of the relationship and the intimacy we didn't say, hey, let's go make Josh and let's go make Hannah and let's, let's go make Isaiah. We didn't manufacture them on our own. It came out of an intimate relationship with each other. The fruits was a byproduct of the relationship. And that's what Paul is saying here. The fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control is a byproduct of spending time with the Spirit. And if you spend time with the Spirit, guess what? You're going to have little Josh, Hannah's, and Isaiah's. But it's called love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. The way it comes, we don't make them. They're a byproduct of a relationship. We don't work on a fruit to get it either, to get closer to Jesus. Now, here's what happens. It's easy for me to look at my life and say, I need to work on that piece of the fruit because that's an area that I'm weak in. Or you might say, I didn't have a good week in that. So this week, I'm going to work on patience. And every day I'm going to wake up, I'm going to be patient. And so all day long, you just, I'm going to be patient. And you get angry. No, I'm going to be patient. That's called self-help. You can't produce the fruit on your own. And that's what we try to do. I'll I'll keep working on that, and then I'll finally be patient. The way you produce patience is what? It's a relationship and time with Jesus. Not your self-help method. I'm going to read a book on patience, and then I'll get patient. No, you won't. You'll have to go back to Jesus and let him and the Spirit round off the sharp edges in you. That's why Paul's looking at his church saying, man, you got it all wrong. You keep trying to do stuff that the Spirit has already done for you. Rely on him. You see, we even sometimes confuse personality traits to spiritual fruits. By nature, God has gifted you and me differently with gifts, talents, and abilities and traits. 
Some of us are prone by nature because God has gifted us. We naturally have a bent towards peace. We naturally have a bent towards kindness. We naturally have a trait of self-control. Sometimes it demonstrates itself in the flesh in stubbornness. But we might see someone and say, wow, they're really self-controlled. Wow. Wow, they're, they, they, they really know how to love. Wow, they really have gentleness. And we think, wow, look at the fruit. Don't confuse a personality trait. Because the truth is, the only way we bear the real fruit is by spending time with him. And we keep speaking the gospel back to ourselves. I would sum up this discussion by saying this. You are only as mature as your most immature fruit. (laughs) What do I mean by that? Sanctification is a progressive. 1 John 3, 2 says one day we will be as he is. But that day hasn't come yet because we haven't been raptured. And so we still have this flesh that screams and we still have this battle. But it's a daily progressive sanctification process. And so as we live each day, we constantly become more mature and more mature, hopefully more like Christ as we spend time. We age in our maturity. And because of that, that immaturity in us, we were a child, we should think like a child, now we're going to think like an adult. And the byproduct of spending time with God, hear me out, please, please, hear me out. The byproduct of spending time with Jesus is a mature faith. And we're only as mature as our most immature fruit. So he wraps this up and he says this. Look what he says. Let us, verse 26, not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Conceit is what? He's looking at his church saying, I'm right. Challenging each other. A person who can't let things lie. Always ready to prove they are right. Always ready to pick a fight. And by the way, the enemy loves that. And more than ever in our world, we need spirit-led people who are walking in the spirit that produce a list of fruit that demonstrates and makes Jesus stand up inside of them. So the world says, That's what I need. That's what I want. Oh, Lord, help us. God, the only way we could ever, 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 ever walk in the Spirit is to recognize that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. God, I pray that we would speak the gospel to us ourselves daily, regularly, and remind ourselves that, that we are saints because of you declaring us righteous. That, that, that we have the living God in us. We have resurrection power available. So God, help us. Remind us daily that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. So that Jesus can stand up inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen.